going to, I want to start uh, kind of this section by kind of bringing us into what we're talking about uh, in a very simple way. How many of you remember um, when Apple computers were founded? Do you remember when Apple computers were founded? I was in high school, getting ready to graduate. It was 1976. Okay. Anybody invest in Apple in 1976? If you had, if you did, we want to talk to you. Um, <laughs> our stewardship team is is waiting, ready, to, ready to talk to you. Right. There were three founders of Apple Computer. All of us know the name Steve. What's his last name? Jobs. Yep, Steve. Of course, we also know what Steve Wozniak. Remember that? And then the third guy was 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 uh, Ron Wayne. Ron Wayne. Three guys. Uh, they started Apple. Of course, the 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 word is, hey, we started Apple in our garage. Well, actually, it was in a bedroom. They did work in the garage from time to time when the bedroom was got too crowded. Um, they launched their computer with no monitor, didn't have a monitor, um, didn't, didn't have a keyboard. It was a pretty weird little device that they started off with until they kind of made progress and over, over the next number of years they became what, what, uh, what they became. Um, now you remember that Ron Wayne, uh, the third party, is typically not recognized as being part of Apple. Here's why. He sold all of his uh, investment in the company 12 days after it was founded for $800. Somebody asked me, where is he today? I said, dead because <laughs> the stress over seeing what happened over the next four years probably killed the man. Here's what I want to get to is Steve Jobs um, was a guy with a vision. And nobody questioned his ability to Think about how do we how do we step into uh, a world where giants like I, IBM and Hewlett these were just giant business. How do we step into a world and actually uh, cause change? And uh, he introduced to the world um, uh, this little device called a mouse. And I still remember being in high school and, and listening to the Apple people talk about we've got this computer and a mouse and thinking to myself. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Who, you don't need a mouse for a computer. You have a keyboard. And of course, it, it, it took off. Here's the problem. Steve Jobs. Was he a good guy? You ever watch a biography on him? Read a biography on him? He wasn't. Um, a lot of flaws in Mr. Jobs caused him ultimately to be fired from his own company, right? Ultimately, they realized, hey, I think maybe, maybe he does know more than we thought. They brought him back in. But always with character flaws. Here's why I'm saying this, is when you get into Romans, kind of remember with me what's going on, is Paul has been taking the Christians, the, the Christians in Rome, on a journey. And that journey has sounded a little bit like this. At one time, God chose to work through physical Israel to bring his hope to the world. At one time, he did. Even during that time, within physical Israel, there were both believers and unbelievers. Always true. Always true. People who were people of the covenant, because I, I trust in the Messiah to come, and people who did not, who put their trust in their, their own work, their sacrifices. And so Paul is saying, when you look back at history, 
Israel has always been what? Not a physical body of people, but a spiritual body of people. Let's turn the page because that's what Paul is doing in the church. He's saying a, a page is turning. God is now moving away from working through the physical body of people called Israel, and he's moving towards what? Working through you, the church. That spiritual body made up of people who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, here's the problem. Most of them that are listening to Paul grew up as Jews, and so they still hold on to this, these old ideas, part of which were, you know what, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, then our goal ought to be, as Jesus states in Matthew chapter 10, to go back and bring the hope of the gospel to the lost house of Israel. No, Paul is saying. No. Page is turning. Not only has God now be begun to work through his spiritual body, Israel, but it's time for us as that spiritual body to go out into Rome and to bring the hope of the gospel to the Gentiles, the people that are different than us. And that's hard for Jews. They, they really wrestle with that. I, I don't know that we, we fully comprehend what's going on inside of me. If I'm a Jew and you're telling me to go mix with people that all my life I've said, you can't even come into our temple. We, we've got a separate space for you. Why? Because you're dirty and you're, you're, you're Gentiles and you're uncircumcised. And here's this guy saying, oh, no, no, we're, we're actually going to go through them because God's going to use the Gentiles to try to make the Jews jealous that they might come back to him. This is where God is going. He's moving into the rank of the Gentiles to bring the gospel uh, to them. So he's done all of that, and you finally get to chapter 12, and you kind of breathe deep, you're like, okay, well then, how are we going to do it? How are we going to bring this gospel to uh, the Gentiles? And he starts off by talking about spiritual gifts. Well, you're not going to be able to do it on your own strength. You, you won't work. Uh, so here's what God has done. He's organized you, this body, into a group of people who have, each has a, a gift that they bring to the table. Maybe more than one gift, right? But you have spiritual gifts you're going to bring to the table. These spiritual gifts, you weren't born with them. They're, they're, not, they're not talents. They're, they're actually gifts given to you through the Holy Spirit when you were Reborn. So I always like to say it that way, that we are not born with, with spiritual gifts. We're reborn with spiritual gifts. And so I want you to take those gifts, and I want you to begin to think about uh, not yourself, but think about the whole of the body, and how can I be a part then of making this, this gospel go out into the Gentile world? How can I be a part of that? We've looked at all of the gifts that Paul lists. Remember, there are seven of them that he lists in this particular section of Scripture. Now, Paul says, okay, stop. You have these gifts, but guess what? They, they don't mean anything if you don't have underneath those gifts strong character. If you don't have the character of what it means to belong to Jesus Christ underneath you, then you're going to go out into the world and you've got gifts and, and their abilities God's given you to do. But here's what will happen is you will sound like a noisy gong, right? It won't work. And so here, here's, here's what he's doing. Steve, Steve Jobs was brilliant. He had gifts, abilities, like, like no one else. Why did, he, why did he get kicked out of his own company? Because his, his character lacked. 
And uh, that's, that's where we are right now in, in Romans as you go to verse 9 of chapter 12 is he's identifying this is what it means to, to live with the gifts of God. We started off last week, very intentionally he begins with the, the, the word love. Let your love be outside of hypocrisy. Love people. Um, we, one of the things we talked about last week is if, if I am going to go out into the world and I'm going to try to, to, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that starts with loving them. It absolutely starts with loving them. If you, if you don't care about me, how long does it take for me to sense that? You're just like a salesman to me. You're trying to shove something at me, manipulate me. You don't care about me. And, and it's why, you know, quite often we think about what it means to, to live as uh, bearers of the word. We recognize that we, we do that within the relationship network that God has given us. I form relationships with people. I get to know them. I care about them. And I care about them, though they may be very different than me. They may, they may vote differently than me. Uh, they may do things that, that I, I don't necessarily approve of. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, I am called to, to love people. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They're souls. And uh, apart from me loving them, I will never really reach them. Uh, so let your love be, the translation is genuine. The Greek word is without hypocrisy. Don't, don't, don't uh, fake it. Second word, abhor what is evil, all right? And I, I think we, we uh, uh, took this word abhor, and we said, listen, be at war with evil. And that's the balance here. I love you, but I'm at war with the stuff going on inside of your life, right? Because it'll destroy you. I love you, and I care way too much to not address the stuff going on in your life because it will destroy you, okay? That balance is hard. It really is hard. Because as, as I meet people and talk to people and get to know people, he, here they are, and they've got stuff in their life. And uh, I see it, and I, it's not of God. And I, I want to say to them, look, the, the, not, hey, you're a bad person, or you're an evil person. I want to say, look, I, I happen to be a person that is at war with the stuff that's inside of you because I love you. I don't want to see it stay inside of you. Uh, so I, I meet the young man who, you know, who flippantly tells me uh, that, you know, pornography won't hurt you. That it's just, you know, all, everybody our age, Pastor Luke, everybody our age knows this. I still remember, I'm not going to mention the name of the young man, two years ago here in this church. I said, I said, I want to interview you. And he said, you want to interview me? I went, yep, true story, want to interview you. And... Um, he was a high school student at the time, and I said, I'm kind of interested in this thing called sexting. Um, I, I wasn't interested because I wanted to get into it. I was interested because I, I wanted to hear more about it. And I had been reading some things, looking at some statistics that were shocking to me, and I thought, is this true in Grand Island? So I, I just asked him outright. I said, in your high school today, um, one of our big high schools here, if I were to confiscate every single phone that every kid has in your high school today. About how many of those phones do you think would have sexting, 
I know that spans a big range. How many of them do you think would have sexing on them? Without hesitating, this young man said, all of them. Are you, are you serious? He said, absolutely, all of them. And I thought, man, um, different world than I grew up in. Now, what that means is sexting, taking a picture of some part of your body without clothing on it and sticking it out into the internet space has become normalized to the degree that, that a lot of young people would say to me, that's, that's not a problem. That's not an issue. Pornography, not an issue. That's just part of our, our world and our lives. Uh, when I come along, I go, you know what? I'm not going to just look at you and say, well, you're a bad person or you're an evil person. I'm going to say, I, I love you. And I got to tell you, that will destroy you. It, it will actually impair your ability to have real relationships with another person. And um, so there is that balance between me going out into the world and, and saying, uh, yeah, boys will be boys and girls will be girls and kids will be kids. And, no, we, we are at war with those things that are at war with the things of God, and, but we do it within a context of relationship. And within that relationship, we are saying, I, I want to help you get free of something that could destroy your life. <coughs> Next word is hold fast. In the midst of doing that, hold fast. Hang on to that which is kalos, that which is good, not just good culturally, but that which is of God good, right? The reason he says hold on is as much as we'd like to think, it, think it's easy, this is hard stuff. It is not easy holding on to the things that are of God in our world today. It's very difficult. Uh, so there's a war going on inside of me as much as there is a war going on inside of this world and other people's lives. And, and God is saying, so, so hang, hang on to this. Hold on to it uh, tightly. Um, I don't think we're able to do that in our own strength. I think we do that as the Spirit works within us, and we pray for that. God, help, God, help me to hold on to the things that are of you. Shift gears. Let's go to uh, this next verse. Um, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with uh, brotherly affection. How does the world see us? Well, they see us sometimes quite negatively. Um, how many of you remember the, the book, they like, they like Jesus, but not the church? Remember that? And it's a book fundamentally that was written by a pastor who was scratching his head over why so many young people were leaving the church, were not part of it. And uh, so he made a pact with himself. I think this is interesting. He says, I'm going to work outside of the office several days a week in, in the public realm, and I'm going to try to pay attention to what is going on in other people's lives. He got outside of the church, and he began to, to meet and talk to and listen to uh, young people, and here, here's what they said. Well, the church, yeah, the, the, uh, Jesus, I love Jesus. He's a great guy. I love his promises. I love, I love who he is, how he lived, what he did. But man, I'll tell you what, the church is just homophobic. And I'm, I'm sick of that. I mean, we're talking about young people who've grown up in a, in a school setting that says what? You're born that way. 
just how you're born. It's normal. It's how God made you. And so here I walked into the church, and here's some guy that's standing up front saying, this is a sin. Well, I, no, I don't need that. You're just homophobic. It's judgmental. That's what the church is. It's, it's homophobic. It's judgmental. And uh, what do you mean it's judgmental? Well, when I go into the church, well, I just feel judged, judged by everyone. They're looking at me like, who are you? And, and you went out drinking last night? Well, I don't need that in my life. I'm going to stick with Jesus. So they see Jesus in a different way, right? All, all grace, no law. And uh, church they see is all law, <laughs> no, no grace. The way you break through that, I believe, is right, caught up right in these words. Young people watch the church, and they watch not what we, just what we say. We've got to be careful about what we say and how we say it. But they watch what we do. To love one another with brotherly affection means what? That we as Christians have to figure out a way to live, not just, hey, I love this, this lost person out here, but I, I, I'm going to love my brother and my sister even when, right? Even when I disagree with them. Even when we're at odds with one another. We're still going to be what? I'm going to love you for who you are. Because the minute the church becomes turned upon itself. You've never seen this happen, have you? That's why we love Peace Lutheran Church. We're always at peace. This has never happened in this church. But some of those evil churches out there, they just turn against each other and they clash with each other. Well, what, what would you say? If you're watching a church, you know, I, I always tell this story because it's true. I, I mean, I have a friend, a, a pastor friend, whose dad, you know how he died? Linda's not going to like this. He died in a voters meeting. <laughs> Which, by the way, Linda told me, we need 40 people to, ask to, to show up and have a quorum. So I hope some of you will stay for that. But he did. He died in a voters meeting. He got so hot over some issue. Like, oh, Down he went. And I'm like, well, that sounds awesome. Come to our church. <laughs> Kill you on the spot, you know? Well, this is what I'm saying is, is is Paul is, is real serious with his church. He's saying, look, we can't fight each other. We can't be, be against each other. Disagree with each other? Absolutely, we're going to. But do it in love, because the world's going to judge you more on the basis of what they see you doing than what they hear you saying. And um, so love one another with brotherly affection. I, I really like this next word. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about this. Um, what does it mean to show honor to another person? Uh, I always like to think of it this way. Um, how do I move away from, I'm always thinking about myself, to being able to say, no, I'm going to think about the other. And I want to lift them up. And so to, to enter into uh, a day is to enter into this, this conversation with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you help me today honor one person? Just challenge you to think about that. Pick someone out each day and honor them. Here's how you can honor someone. It might be a phone call. Hey, you know what? I just wanted to give you a quick call and let you know how important you are to me and how important you are to the kingdom of God. You're awesome. Thank you for doing what you do. That's honoring someone. It could be just a quick note that you write and you send to a person that just says, hey, I just was thinking about you today, lifted you up in prayer, very thankful for you. Okay. 
It could be something public where you, you're recognizing somebody. Hey, look, look, I want to just recognize. So, so what he's saying is live, live differently than the world. And if I'm doing that, if we're doing that, does the world recognize that? Yes, they do. It impacts my capacity to be a bearer of the gospel. Honor one another. It reminds me, by the way, Pat, make this note. <laughs> Pat says, I'm not working at Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'd like to uh, send some flowers. You guys agree with this? I'd like to send some flowers and, and give thanks along with the people of Resurrection Catholic Church that just built this new, have you seen that new building they built? Um, and just say, hey, uh, we're thankful to God for your, for your new building. Um, we don't do that often enough as Christians. We don't do it Re Resurrection, did they ever serve this church? Yeah, they did, didn't they? Peace Lutheran Church, where's the, what's the first church they worshiped in? Resurrection. And uh, so let's send the Catholics some flowers and say, hey, we're thankful. We got to you see this new building that you just put up and uh, praise God for that. That's honoring another person. This next verse, I, I, like, I don't like the translation of this, um, so I'm going to pull it apart just a little bit. The, it says this, do not be, this is my translation, ESV, do not be slothful in zeal, slash, be fervent in spirit. Okay. So when I look at this in the, in the original language, a better translation might be uh, in diligence, do not be lacking. In diligence, do not be lacking. Be diligent people. Know what that means? Hard work. You guys ever hear of a guy named Zieg Ziegler? One of my favorite businessmen. He's gone to heaven now. Uh, Zieg Ziegler used to tell this story about the most effective day, the most effective work day of the year. You know what the most effective work day of the year is? It's predictable. It actually is predictable. The most effective work day of your year will be the day before you go on vacation. <laughs> Think about that. Isn't that true? You're getting ready to leave. You're like, oh, get a checklist. Got to do that, 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 that. And that day, you were diligent. You're like, I made it through the checklist. Other days, you're like, ah, hopefully I'll make it through. Zieg says, hey, this is what it means to live as a Christian. It means that every day I say, okay, God, uh, being a Christian, that's not, that's not easy. This is, this is not supposed to be easy. It's going to be hard. How do I give myself over to that work that is not easy? It's, it's going to be hard, but I, I, will, I will give myself to the work uh, of the Lord. Second half of that is uh, being, being zealous in the spirit, being zealous in the spirit. Um, this is not manufactured. I don't just come in and go like, woohoo, it's a great day, we're going to go to work. But being zealous in the spirit means I, I have to have in my life, in my personal life, patterns that so connect me to the word of God that the spirit of God is working in, in me and causing my heart to start to beat differently than the world's heart. Start, cause my heart to beat like God's heart. Help me see people differently. Help me say, look, I, I, I want to live this thing out uh, with everything inside of me 
again, not, not manufactured, but actually, actually a byproduct of what it means to uh, be people in the spirit. It's, it's, I think it's one of the reasons that, for me personally, I always want to, I always want to come back to, um, what are your, what are your personal patterns? What, what's, what's fueling you? Uh, and I, I think I have conversations with, uh, particularly, right, Kirk. I have conversations with a lot of men who will say to me, "Well, honestly, not a lot. I'm not, I'm not really soaking in a whole lot of Word each day." I say, "Well, how much, how much ESPN are you soaking in?" Oh, not a lot. I said, "Have you timed it?" No. I said, "Well, here, here's the deal. Make a deal with yourself." Time it this week, however much time you spend on ESPN, and you'll spend that same amount of time in the Word of God. It'll change you. It would. Really would. Um, yeah, how, how much time did you spend? How much time did you spend on Fox uh, News this week? And did you spend that same amount of time in the Word of God? If the Word of the world is coming into us and it becomes more significant than the Word of the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Your heart will not be like the spirits, right? It doesn't. It starts to be like the world's, and uh, it's out of rhythm. And so God is calling us constantly back into these rhythm. I call them rhythms, uh, rhythms of of life. Um, out of that comes this I, just a very, very simple word. He says, "Serve." So serve the Lord. So serve the Lord. Um, now, when we lived in Kansas City, I made this little note to myself. Um, probably my favorite favorite barbecue place was a place called Gates and Sons. If you've ever been to Gates, anybody been to Gates and Sons? And I still remember the first time walking into Gates and Sons. Kind of like McDonald's, Gates has a, a uh, they call it QU. QU, a, a barbecue university. They really do a great job of training their people. Here's not only how to cook it, but here's how to serve it. This is kind of our, our brand as a holistic experience that people are going to have. When you walk into Gates and Sons, the first words out of the, out of, I mean, you, like you open the door and you put your foot in the door and you're going to hear these words, may I help you please? And your first time there, it'll so shock you, you'll be like, whoo! I just, I, I just walked in the door, and you're looking at this menu up here, and you're like, blah, blah, blah. and they're like, come on now, come on now. And so you got to get it down. Barbecue beef on bun, make lean as possible, please, with extra sauce on the side. And uh, you got to get, get it down, get the rhythm down, right? So I put this down because I think, serve, serve the Lord. May I help you? May I help you, please? God, how, how, how can I be your servant today? How can I be your servant today? The underlying Greek word is the word slave. I want to serve you. How can I serve you today? May I help you, please? How can I help you? To be able to really help a person, you got to stop. You can't be in a hurry. Like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, too bad. Sorry. We'll pray for you. Thank God. you got to stop. you got to listen to people. you got to watch them. If, 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 if this is not true, tell me. Most of you in this room, if you had something going on in your life that was hard, you would not ask for help. Am I right? Every single time this congregation has the opportunity to serve a, a, somebody from within, 
here's what I hear, Pastor, this is so hard for us to receive this. I say, I know. It's easier for you to give it, isn't it? Yeah. We've always been the ones that give. We give, we give. Now, we can't give. We're hurting. I'm like, that's right. To know that, you have to stop. You can't just stay with the surface. I listen to somebody. I ask God to, to help me discern how do I help people. And sometimes, it's, sometimes you're helping somebody by just stopping and listening. Sometimes you're serving another person by saying, you know what, this person really, they really need some help. You, you need a ride somewhere, or you need somebody to pick up groceries, or you need some help with some bills. That's what, it's, that's what he's calling us out to. In, in zeal, in fervent in the spirit, Sir, serve the Lord. Uh, verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, in those times of, of shaking. Um, rejoice in hope. I'm hopeful. Are you hopeful this today? I am hopeful. But look at the mess that's going on in our country. It's pretty much a mess. It's going to be a mess for the next however many weeks or even months. Are you hopeful? I'm hopeful. Well, how can you be? Look at the mess going on. I'm hopeful. Why are you hopeful? Because I have, I have a promise. It doesn't change with, with presidents changing. It doesn't change with po politics. It's, it's constant. It's there. It's a promise of God. Rejoice in that hope, but be patient in tribulation. That hope is what gives you patience. It allows you to say, uh-huh, yep, there's going to be some hard times to come. There's going to be some shaking that goes on. And patience allows me to say that shaking is actually good for us. That shaking is really good for us. It's good for the church. It's good for my life. Um, but I, while the world is being shaken, I'm, so, I'm solid. I've got a hope uh, that lives within me. All of these things are character. Can you see that? All these things are really up underneath <clears throat> your use of gifts. You could be the most talented person in the entire church world. But if this is not underneath you, you become a disaster to the church because you, you lead out of what? The, your, your, own, your own agenda, your, your own self, and you're not dependent upon the Spirit of God. In every one of these, uh, what Paul is pointing back to is let the Spirit work within you. <clears throat> be constant in prayer. Be consistent in prayer. If you, if you allow me just for just a minute to challenge you with a question. Is your prayer life consistent? Now, some of us might say, well, yeah, at every meal we bow our heads and we say, home Right? We say the, the, the prayer um, in German uh, because we're Lutherans. I say, come Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm just asking you a serious question. Is your prayer life consistent? Uh, you ever notice Jesus' prayer life? It's consistent. Uh, doesn't enter into a day, doesn't close a day without what? Prayer. Ever notice David's prayer life? I always call David the sandwich guy. His prayer life is like a sandwich. Beginning of the day, he's standing before God. Hey, God, you know what? I'm going to thank you right now for everything that's going to happen in this day. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. You may be attacked by 
some ammonites or termites or something come after you. Yeah, I'm thanking God for that. You can't thank God for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm thanking God for it. Every night when he went to bed, before he went to bed, what did David do? I want to thank you, God, for all the things that just happened in this day. Goes back to him. In between, at lunchtime, he prays. Okay? Now, Muslims do it five times a day. They stick out and take out that prayer rug, and uh, down they go. They do it out of the law. I don't think our prayer life should come out of the law. It comes out of what? The zeal of the Spirit. But it's communication time with God. It's being <clears throat> contrary to the world that would say, if things go your way, <clears throat> if things are right, then you pray a prayer. No, this is saying even when the world is upside down and completely contrary to what you want it to be, my prayer life is consistent. And here's what it is. Thank you, God, for this day and all that's going to happen. In it. Thank you, God, for all that just happened in this day. Name it for him. Go through it. But if you don't have consistency in your, your prayer life, I'd encourage you, you know, pick out three times a day. It doesn't have to be long. Um, but if you, if you just if you took five minutes at the beginning of the day, the end of the day, and somewhere in between, it'll, it'll make a difference for you. Um, so let your prayer life be consistent. Uh, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You know, one of the things that... Um, I think is precious uh, here at peace. When you, when you really look at how God's worked amongst this body over the last number of years, is um, consistently there has been a, a, a servant spirit in this body. We, we want to serve people, particularly when they're going through a difficult time. And you know, we, I get to hear stories. Uh, when somebody sits me down and says, hey, did you hear the story of, of, of Bob and Rita? I'm like, no, I don't think I, I fully heard that story. Well, well you, rec you realize that there was a point in time here in this congregation where um, a, a worker murdered his wife. That's kind of shocking. I'm like, yeah, I, really? That'll tear a church apart. That really will. That'll tear a church apart. Unless... God says, I'm going to use that to strengthen the church, and he did. And one of the ways he did it is here, here's, here's five kids who have no home. Mom's dead. Dad's going to jail. <clears throat> and two people step up and said, well, we'll take them in. Did you take five kids in? You know, my wife, she, she, uh, she got that little iPad out. She's, look at this, look at this little puppy. It needs a, it needs a home. I'm looking at that puppy. I said, why do they always make them look so sad? They're like, I don't have a home. I'm like, think about five kids. Think about five kids that are like, we don't have a home. We'll take you in. And the congregation said, you know what? You're going to take them in. Hey, we'll help you build an addition to your house. That's, that's what this is. Does the world notice that? Listen, when you're, when you're in the book of Acts, what is it that makes the world finally stop and go, what's going on with you people? It's not... Sermons, it's not blah, 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 blah. It's what, what is it? It's the way people lived. There's, there's authenticity to it. There's, wait a minute, those people, that, that costs money to build, to build an addition. That costs money. That's right. And time. That's right. You're taking five kids in? Yeah, we're going to take them in. Why would you do that? They don't have a home. 
That's, that's just beautiful stuff. And it's part of the fabric of, of this church. And I, I pray that God continues to, to let that be part of the fabric of this church because it's, it's exactly what this is, is um, contribute to the needs of the saints, those ones who are set aside. That's more internal. Notice the second half of this is external. Seek to show hospitality. So the word for hospitality uh, in Greek here is phylloxenin. And um, philos are, think of the Philistines, they're the others. They're the ones outside of the church. So there, there's kind of the both sides of this emphasis. It's one thing when we're serving one another, right? Then it's another thing when the church says, we're also going to serve those who are strangers, those who are outside uh, of the church. And, and I maintain that that's the picture of the church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is it's a body of people who are not Mormon. Mormons serve one another. They do. Better than anybody else. Why? Because when you join the Mormon church, they get your, w, they get your, w4, they get your W-2 form. Right? And they look at it. Here's your income. This is your tithe, 10%. And uh, we'll bill you. Welcome to the Mormon church. It's all law. Right? This is not Mormon. The Mormons, though, when you have a problem, you know what? There is no, including governmental agency on planet Earth today that has more food and supplies and guns stockpiled for when the end, end times come, then the Mormon church. Really, they got us all, everyone, everyone be, they're ready for it. Because we're going to, we're the Mormons. We're going to be the ones who, what about outside the church? Huh. Christians, here's what, made, here's what made them unique, different, peculiar, is um, we're serving those who are inside the church. If you have a need, yeah, absolutely, we're going we're gonna to serve it. But guess what? We're also going to serve those who are outside of the church. And all of a sudden, now the world stops and says, well, is there a loophole here? Is there a condition we'll serve you if you join the church, if you become part of us? No, there was no loopholes. No loopholes. And it's what made the church uh, so powerful is it's, it's, it's authenticity in Jesus Christ. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality uh, to those who are outside of the church. I think verse 14 is probably the hardest one. For us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I don't think I, I don't think I have to reach far to stir up in your minds pictures of people who you would say, well, these are my persecutors. They don't like me. And I don't like them. What are you going to do about that? As the Bible says. To bless them doesn't mean that you sing their praises. Like, oh, bless you. Bless you. Bless you, my brother. That's not what he's talking about. How do you bless someone? You wish God's blessing upon them. Now, turn, turn to, towards some depth. Here's what it means. I may very much disagree with you. You, you are actually hurting me. But I will always ask that God's good come upon you. God, I desire good for this person. I'm not going to curse them. And, I, and I'm, I'm just going to caution us, because we're going to begin to close up here. I'll just caution us. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be, many people will be 
desperately tempted to curse those who they believe will persecute them. I'm speaking in the political realm. We will be. I'm going to curse them. Don't. Try this. Bless them. God, I, I, my desire for, for this person is that somehow your spirit might break through in their life. God, my desire for this person, I don't really know them, is that, that your good would come upon them. Bless them. You know who it'll change? You. It'll change you into the person that God's called you to be. Can you start to see this? Steve Jobs, let's close with this, was a brilliant, masterful inventor slash salesman who had no character. Ultimately, he's out because of that. The church of Jesus Christ is being measured, always being measured by the world around us. They will see through hypocrisy, fakeness, inauthenticity like that. And so what God is, what God is calling us to be are authentic lovers, co-lovers of other human beings with the Spirit of God in the hope that souls might be rescued for eternity, for eternity. It is not easy. None of this is easy. It is not something you can manufacture. It is something that grows out of the Spirit's work within us. Let's close there.